0: This is Gina Marie Rodriguez, and you're listening to the Jersey Arts Podcast. Who in their life hasn't felt the sharp sting of embarrassment? I'd certainly like to meet them, if they exist, though this episode is probably not for them. This is for those of us who understand the haunting nature of humiliation and the humor that hindsight brings. Are you still stressing about something stupid you did 20 years ago? Don't worry, you're not alone. We promise. Today, I spoke with Laura Ekstrand, the producing artistic director of Vivid Stage, and star of the upcoming production of 101 Humiliating Stories by Lisa Crone. Listen to learn more about Vivid Stage, and how important it is that we all learn to laugh at ourselves. The title of the show that you're working on is what got me, 101 Humiliating Stories. Mm-hmm. That's my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we all feel that way, which is why I'm hoping that people are going to feel like it's going to, you know, be relevant to them.
0: Absolutely. That's why we encourage people to see theater, right? It should be relatable. Right. You are the producing artistic director of Vivid State, right? Yeah. But you are also acting in 101 Million Stories. But before we jump into the show itself, can you tell me just a little bit about Vivid Stage?
1: Sure. We focus on contemporary plays, contemporary stories. A lot of them are new plays, um, but we're really looking for things that are relevant to the day-to-day lives of our audience, um, and, and, and stories that focus on like the kind of the micro version of our lives, the interpersonal relationships. And uh, the, the tiny dramas and comedies that make up our everyday life, you know, rather than kind of the epic scope of, of plays, we're doing the the mini scope.
0: That leads me to ask, how how do you come across these shows? How do you choose what a season will look like at Vivid?
1: Yeah, and we're right in the middle of that right now. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a combination of things. So we usually do plays that are very recent or new. Um, The 101 Humiliating Stories is an exception to that, but um, usually we're doing things that were produced in the last five years or never produced. Um, And so I'm always on the lookout. I'm reading a lot about what's playing regionally and in New York. I read a ton of plays, but then we also do a call for new plays every year. And uh, it actually was becoming overwhelming. Last year we had 500 submissions. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm, you know the only full-time staff member Um, and the company, the ensemble does help uh, with the reading process. But this year um, we limited it to 300 and we got that many scripts in the first three weeks of the year.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. I think, I think when playwrights realize that you actually produce new plays that you're sincerely looking to produce their plays, there's a lot more excitement around submissions. They're Um, jumping at it. Right. And you know, that and that's really fun for us and we actually have developed relationships with a number of especially New Jersey playwrights, but a, lo- a lot of different playwrights over the years. So uh so we do the open submissions, I also am in touch with a lot of the playwrights that we've done in the past. So that when they have something new that they think is right for us, they'll send it directly to me, which is so good because you know, they know us and they've seen us do their work and you know it's a lovely vote of confidence but also they know that the aesthetic will be right so wh- one thing we do do uh, and we did it once this year we do it every now and then is we'll do a collection of short plays and usually that's kind of more commission-based where we have a theme and I'll go to maybe playwrights we've worked with in the past and I'll say we're doing an evening on this theme what do you have or would you be willing to write something new for this evening and we've done that a couple times
0: All right, now I just want to jump into 101 Humiliating Stories, because I'm super excited about it. If you don't mind, I'm going to read what I found on your website first. Yep. I think this is so cool. Your website states, in 101 Humiliating Stories, we dive deep into the universal experience of humiliation. In this one-woman show, the actor shares a series of humiliations, past, present, and future, including exquisitely detailed anecdotes like geeky celebrity encounters and how I spent all the petty cash from my office on makeup. An invitation to perform at her high school reunion in Lansing, Michigan triggers another series of anxiety-filled fantasies. How will she, a lesbian East Village performance artist, cope with her Midwestern classmates? 101 Humiliating Stories is evocative, moving, and overall hilarious. I am so excited just from that description. (laughs) Like I said before, I feel like, I mean, I can relate to this, and I'm sure that many other people out there can, um, but I... (laughs) the geeky celebrity encounters is the one that gets me because that not that I've met many but um, I can only imagine how much worse I get when I when I meet (laughs) idols
1: right you kind of lose your bearings it's like I don't know how to behave anymore I'm around somebody famous exactly do
0: I speak English anymore
1: (laughs) yes yes yeah and the funny thing about Lisa Crone is that she is a celebrity now really I mean This was written when she was kind of a struggling East Village solo performer. And I actually saw her do this show um, when she was in New York. And and way before that, I did a summer theater thing um, the year before she did. She did the same theater at, at the same place after I did. So I met her that summer because I had friends there still. And so I knew her a little bit, and this is well before any of this stuff happened. So when she wrote this play, she was not a celebrity. She was, you know, not in the place where she is now. Um, so it's really fun to see her at this moment in her life where she was just, you know, kind of struggling and, and, and um, really committed to her life in the theater, even though it was really hard. And look what happened. And, you know, it's such a lovely payoff for her. It doesn't happen for everybody. But but she, one of the last stories she tells is how she's doing this community theater production of You Can't Take It With You. And she's looking out onto the stage from the wings, waiting to go on and thinking, you know, this is so magical. I, I, I'm so glad that I get to do this with my life and that she gets rewarded As you know, we know now she's rewarded with this fabulous career. It's just, it's kind of like beautiful.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a Tony winning, Tony award-winning artist.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: She wrote the book and lyrics for Fun Home. Yes. So I'm, I mean, I wasn't able to see that show and I still regret that. looking forward to seeing this one because it sounds amazing. And I want to know from your perspective as the actor, what's your favorite
1: part? There are two really funny stories. Do you mean the piece itself, my favorite part, within the piece or working on the piece?
0: Oh, both. Let's touch on both.
1: Okay. They're two really hilarious stories, I think. Um, they're just fun to act out because... You know, as she's telling these stories, she really is like, she's narrating the story. So she's acting them out while narrating them. So it's not like now I'm portraying a little girl or something. She's saying, you know, when I was a little girl, this thing happened to me and she's acting it out at the same time. So one of the stories is the, how I spent all the petty cash on makeup story, which is really fun. I I don't want to tell too much, but she, she goes to the Macy's makeup counter and just goes insane. There's another great one about how she, uh she's a temp you know she's temping a lot and she almost cuts her finger off um doing this project while she's temping and she has to go to the emergency room and all this stuff happens so I won't tell you more about that but there are a couple stories that for an actor are just so much fun to do that I just like kind of can't wait to get human beings in there so that I can do this with them
0: absolutely you know vibing off of the audience's energy is really important too Yeah. All right, so 101 Humiliating Stories. Can you tell me a little bit about who's directing this piece?
1: Sure. Um, the director is actually a longtime friend of mine who runs another New Jersey theater. His name's Mark Spina, and he runs The Theater Project, which is in Maplewood. And um, we've known each other for, oh, well, I'll tell you, we first met each other doing a show at Seton Hall one summer. It was side-by-side by by Sondheim, and we were the ingenue couple, so that gives you some indication of how long ago it was. Um, And so both of us went on to run our own theaters, and now he directed me in the reading of this. It's about 10 years ago now, and so when I was considering producing it, I thought, well, we had such a good time doing the reading, I wanted to ask him to direct me on this production, and it's just just been really nice to, to be with him, and he knows me really well, and he gives me a lot of, um, I wouldn't say leeway because he, he does know what he wants, but he's very collaborative with me because I'm the one up there and he wants me to be comfortable. So he's taking good care of me is what I would say. And we're having a lot of fun.
0: Uh, I hope that after listening to this interview, you're going to have just ticket sales flooding
1: your inbox. <laughs> That's what I'm I, Me too. Me too. <laughs> I think.
0: Not that I can speak for everyone, but I think this show, never having seen it, right, but just judging by this description, I think that this is such a, a good idea to to wet your feet a little bit. If you've never been to a show, everybody can relate to having been embarrassed at one point or another. Check this yeah. out as your first show if you've never been to a theater before, if you've never been to a live show.
1: Yeah, you know, I I listened to this interview with Lauren Gunderson recently, and she was saying how she thinks that theater is practice for life. And that's why people go, they want to see someone do things that maybe they have done, maybe they have never done. Um, and this definitely seeing someone go through humiliation and then survive and share it with you has to be somehow, I hope, reassuring, because I think we'll be laughing and saying like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I'm still like standing there talking to you and we can all go through it and go, oh, wow, together, hopefully Um, And people can feel like, well, first of all, she's suffering and not me. But secondly, they can be like, you know, she 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 made it. She made it.
0: Yes. I, I think that's really important. And that's what art is. Right. That's why we we take in the books that we read, the movies that we watch, the TV shows, the theater. It's so that we feel less alone. Yes. I know that, you know, I won't share them my humiliating stories, but I know that they haunt me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh my gosh. Like they were yesterday. Could be oh, decades yes. ago. And they're, they it cut it's so fresh. When you think about it
0: moments ago, moments before we started this, I was remembering something that happened to me 20 years ago thinking, Oh my God, how did that happen? And why did it pop into my brain? Why does it come back out of nowhere? So it's
1: something about the way those things imprint themselves on your psyche, that they're, they're wounds that last forever.
0: Exactly. They just kind of open themselves, you know, and pour a little bit more salt in. Every every once in a while, just why not? But but the point is we're all here. And in the case of Lisa Crone, you know, she survived and did quite well for herself.
1: So there is hope for all of us. Right. And I think that if you can laugh at yourself and invite other people's to other people to laugh with you, it takes some of the sting out of that. It's like, wrong, well, you know what a dumb thing to do and everyone's like yeah ha ha, ha it was you know and and it, it it actually puts us all on the same team about it
0: definitely I, I agree with that wholeheartedly but this is not the only show this is part of a series your solo series correct
1: mhm yeah and to give you a little context we for the last i feel like it's 10 years or something We really wanted to do something over the summer because we're pretty quiet over the summer, but we felt like we wanted not to lose touch with people. So we started a solo reading series, which we do through the month of July. So for the last 10 years, we've done four solo show readings um, once every week. And all of these three shows have appeared in the reading series. And they were things that like the actors felt really attached to or the audience really responded to. And when we had this slot open in the spring, I thought, you know, maybe it's a fun idea to actually produce fully these things that were readings and that really connected with people. So that's that's kind of what we're what we're doing. Um, So, yes, after my weekend, then we have a weekend uh, with Scott McGowan. He's the actor and he's doing the absolute brightness of Leonard Pelkey which is just a sweet, lovely show. It's delightful. It's about a, a kid, a teen who goes missing and the whole town, it's set in a South Jersey small town and the whole town um, kind of turns out for him and, and just you know tells stories about how lovely he is and, and what he taught them. And he's a gay kid who's really comfortable with himself. So he's, he's teaching others how to really be true to themselves and opening a lot of minds. And the actor gets to play all the townspeople. So it's kind of a great exercise for, for the actor as well. That's and amazing.
0: So it's told from multiple perspectives then?
1: Yes. It begins to be narrated by the detective who's looking for him because he's missing. And then he interviews all the residents. And so then we meet all of them as he goes through. Oh,
0: that sounds wonderful. And like another uplifting show. You know, yes. You need to understand how... How appreciated we are. It feels a little bit George
1: Bailey-esque. It it does have that small town feel, definitely. And it is uplifting. And it's it's um, you know, I think it's extremely timely that um that's that, you know, especially for teenagers struggling to find their identity. You know, here's a, a story of a kid who really had, you know, had it, I don't know, had it all together sounds a little too Pat, but who who really had had discovered who he was which is such a nice message. And then the last one is Harry Clark, which was on Broadway just a few, right before the pandemic, I think, with Billy Crudup. And it is another kind of tour de force where the actor plays a whole bunch of people. But it's a a guy who is very mousy and he realizes that if he starts pretending to be this very kind of debonair, debonair British guy, that doors open for him. So he kind of more and more takes on this persona full time. And uh, and so he kind of wiggles his way into this very wealthy family and all of the members of the family kind of fall in love with him. And so it's it's a, a really like um, interesting, funny, also a wild story about something that could truly have happened. I'm sure it has happened. I'm sure it has happened in real life. Probably all uh, the time. More often oh, than we yeah. like to think. I mean, look at Anna Delvey, that that story of how she posed as a socialite. And uh, so it's very much like that. And uh, and Clark Carmichael is playing Harry Clark uh, and he's wonderful. And he did the reading of it. And he said to me when he did the reading, I just want to tell you that I would like to do this show. (laughs) And I said, noted. And he manifested uh, it for himself. That's right. Got to speak up. So here we are. And one other kind of fun thing we're doing um, is that on the 20th, which is opening night of Leonard Pelkey, we're going to have a pride night reception. So there's a little gathering beforehand. We have a local brewery in town that's going to bring their drinks and we're going to provide, you know, some appetizers and just a chance to hang out a little bit before the show. Everybody's welcome. Great.
0: (laughs) But there was something else on your website that I wanted to ask about as well, and it's Senior Sundays. Are Mm -hmm. you always do Senior Sundays or is that just for for this
1: series? We always do. It's usually the first Sunday of the run of any show and all tickets are $25 for seniors. And then we have a talk back after. And for this one, we have actually three Sundays and they're all first Sundays. (laughs) So we decided every single Sunday was gonna be $25 a ticket for seniors. And because the cast is one person, it's just way too much to make them sit up there and do a talk back. So instead of that, we're going to just have a little reception with cake and coffee, kind of informally. You can chat with the actor if you want to, the director. You know, it's it's much more casual, um, you know, and, and people can just hang out for, for a bit before they go home.
0: Is there anything that you want audiences to know about Vivid before they come see
1: you. Well, <laughs> I sometimes need to tell people it looks like a church. It was a church. It's no longer a church. Um there is a sign outside, but just driving by quickly, you know, you might miss it because it looks like some neighborhood church. But it's not. Um inside, it's it's 120 seats approximately. So it is really intimate and we're very close to the audience just as you would be in a church. So It's actually a really great environment for a one person show because you're so close to everybody. Um, And I know in my show, like, I run up and down the aisle and talk to people. Now, every show is not going to have that, but mine in particular does. So I I just think it's, it's it's a relaxed experience. There's not a lot of the, you know, wear and tear of getting into the city. You can have a lovely meal very close by, much more affordably. There's free parking. You know, I think that for a lot of people who have never gone to any New Jersey theater, much less our New Jersey theater, some of those things will be a refreshing surprise.
0: You can see Laura Ekstrand in Vivid Stage's production of 101 Humiliating Stories from April 13th through the 16th in Summit, New Jersey. If you liked this episode, be sure to review, subscribe, and tell your friends. A transcript of this podcast, links relevant to the story, and more about the arts in New Jersey can be found at jerseyarts.com. The Jersey Arts Podcast is presented by Art Pride New Jersey, advancing a state of creativity since 1986. The show was co-founded by and currently supported by funds from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts with additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Gina Marie Rodriguez. Executive producers are Jim Atkinson and C. Stroud. And a very special thanks to Laura Ekstrand. I'm Gina Marie Rodriguez for the Jersey Arts
1: Podcast. Thanks for listening.